Welcome into another episode of One of These Years, our Detroit Lions podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined as always by Nick Baumgartner. And uh, Nick, we got our little like dead period in the NFL <laughs> here. We're uh, through OTAs and minicamp. Got a few weeks until training camp uh, gets going down there in Allen Park. So how are you feeling about things? We, we got a chance to go out and watch the Lions practice. We did. Uh, Three times at, at minicamp, or yeah, at minicamp, yeah. I was out there at OTAs a couple times, so uh, initial impressions of the, the Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes era. Yeah, I think that um, you know minicamp last week was more just sort of an extension of what we sort of saw um, from OTAs and such, but you know, I think that as the week went on and you saw guys kind of, some guys sort of have to go through day after, you know, three days in a row, um, a lot of it I'm sure was you know, conditioning in the heat. It was three pretty hot days. Um, and I think when you looked at it from certain parts of the team, I'm sure they were able to get some things done, but there were other parts where you're just not like, you know, none of the lines probably got much uh, out of last week, nor were we able to really glean much probably from, you know, how the run game's going to work or how it's going to look or that sort of thing. But um, a lot of mini camp for the Lions, I think was, so much of it was Jared Goff and his timing with, you know, the new receivers on his team. And then also, you know, kind of an extended look at, you know, I thought some of the younger defensive backs, uh, some of the younger linebackers, minus maybe Derek Barnes, who wasn't able to get out there as much. But yeah, you're able to get your kind of uh, appetite wet a little bit with some of these guys, see where they're at and see where they got to go. And I think not a lot of shocks or surprises, but I think it's all about where we expected it to be right now. Yeah, it's uh, like you said, it's pretty hard because this whole team pretty much revolves around just how good the offensive line is going to be and then whether or not the defensive line is going to do anything. And we couldn't really see, I mean, the defensive line guys were just doing positional drills off to the side. The offensive line was on the far corner doing their own stuff. And like they were leaving like 20 or 30 minutes before the team wrapped up uh, its drills at the end of practice. So we'll have to wait until training camp to get a better feel for, you know, just how well that's working and, and sort of what Penny Sewell can do and whether or not Vitae is viable and, yeah, what that defensive line is going to look like. But, yeah, I think a lot of it – the big one for me we kept talking about, I think it's going to be – whether it's in training camp or preseason or regular season, like I think – I know people are mentally prepared for Jared Goff to be the quarterback and Matthew right. Stafford to not be the quarterback. But uh, there's – it's still a little jarring – just from a like skill set standpoint, <laughs> to yeah, see right, it out there because Stafford, even in those practices, and you, you know he he uh, they didn't let us in for as many of these in the past. I think we were out there for mini camps, but um, you know just from and even the velocity on his throws, the, right, there were a couple yeah. of those like receivers would get behind defenders on some of those one on ones, and Goff was coming up you know, two or three yards short on him. Like, that mm-hmm. didn't happen with Matthew right. Stafford. Like, that ball was either a completion or it was gone through the end zone because everything was, you know, j- just big with his throws. And so I think that that uh, – just feeling out what Goff is going to look like as a quarterback is is something I think people will be interested to watch in training camp too because it is – he might be good in this offense, but you are not like Matthew Stafford's arm is ridiculous yeah. and it's always been ridiculous. And oh, now yeah. you have like a regular arm. in there. <laughs> so oh, right. that's a great way to put it. You know, you got to get used to that a little bit. You said uh, you said something on Twitter the other day that was, I thought, pretty good um, about, 
you know, just some of the stuff we've gleaned in terms of where the Lions might go offensively and what it might look like. And I think it kind of ties into this exact conversation because there's a lot of things the Lions are going to have to do offensively, you know, from the run game, um, some of the looks that they have with, you know, personnel and pass game, some of the ways that they want to attack the defense, et cetera, et cetera, that are going to be very different from what we saw regardless of coordinator with Matthew Stafford. Because like Chris is saying, like, you can watch Matthew Stafford in seven on seven, and you're going to see 10 or 12 balls if you watch for 20 minutes where he just takes a chance and slams it in there and makes a throw that he has no business making that no one should be making. And he makes and it's a completion <laughs> right. or it's a touchdown. And like when you watch that enough times, you just sort of like, well, OK, well, <laughs> that's just what he does. Like if you're like you said, like if a guy was able in minicamp to get a step or two, not much, but maybe like a half step or a step on a DB and golf tried to fit it. Maybe sometimes he got it there. Maybe sometimes he didn't. Like Stafford was, maybe sometimes he didn't throw it. Most of the time, I would argue he wouldn't throw that ball. Like Stafford threw it every single time. So I think that the difference is ultimately going to be is like, you're not going to have a quarterback who can bail you out. You're not going to have a quarterback who you can sort of rely on to get out of these sticky situations, uh, which are all things that, you know, you're going to have to work around as a play caller. But the rub there on the other side of it, if you want to look at it in the positive end is like, in theory, you're not going to have as many risks. So you're also going to be able to control some of that. And you're going to be able to tell Jared Goff, like, Hey, if this is the look on this, don't throw it. And it doesn't mean like <laughs> right, in yeah. the moment you're going to change your mind and decide I'm going to throw it because I can get my I can get the ball there. Like that's what Stafford does. That's how he's always been. Goff, I think to this point in his career, most of that's probably been sort of yelled out of him. I would assume to a degree. So yeah, I mean, long long winded answer there, but it's a fascinating thing because I think that just simply because you do not have a mistake eraser like Stafford's arm anymore, you're going to have to do things very differently, which maybe that's a net positive in the end because it might involve, like we saw last week a little bit, it might involve them using different personnel looks and guys in different situations that we just haven't seen from the Lions much in, in recent years. Yeah, uh, Stafford's career interception percentage is 2.3, so 2.3% of all his throws mm-hmm. have been interceptions. It's the same for Goff, but you do... Um, you know, Goff's been... Stafford's has gone down over his career. Goff's yeah. has sort of stayed the same. That's just right. what you're getting from him. And I, I exactly. think you did see a couple of those, um, a couple of those throws in minicamp where he was trying to fit through windows. He had one in the end zone during sure. seven on sevens. That was pretty good. But yeah, you could even tell now, um, and, and we're not allowed to really reveal too much about what they're doing schematically or any of mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, but you can tell that they're trying to hammer home to him, uh, Put these balls to the sideline. Put them down low where only your guys can get them. If you yeah. got to run and just throw it away, like we'd rather punt <laughs> and just yeah. see what we can do than turn it over. And if we have to, if that's how we have to live an entire game, then that's how we have to live an entire game. And I think that you're right. I think some of that is probably already been hammered out of golf, but I think you're going to yeah. see it continue to be hammered out of golf. And I, the question is whether or not it takes. I mean, because they're in a position where I, I think. One or two mistakes, like bad mistakes in a game, and they're going to have a hard time overcoming that. Like You I have agree. to be pretty flawless every week if you're going to win some of these games. And so, uh, you know, that's really going to be the test for Goff. Can he avoid those crushing mistakes every single week for 60 yeah. minutes? And, I, you know, I don't know that that's even realistic to ask of him. So, um, but we'll see. I mean, I yeah, it's... <laughs> And it's some of just, this is just finding, feeling the rapport too. You wrote yeah. about it. Like I think it looks pretty good with TJ Hawkinson already. I do, yeah. Um, which is a good sign. They're still feeling <clears throat> things out pretty obviously with uh, all the receivers. I mean, I do think St. Brown had a good 
few days, but you know, Williams, Perriman, um, you know, there's, there's clearly a, a work in progress with those connections. So, um, you got to bring that along too. I mean, this is even in like a good situation, you're overhauling everything <laughs> with those yeah. skill positions outside. And so that's, that's just going to take some time. I think one more thing I would note on golf where we, and I do want to touch on this guys you just mentioned there, but golf, like he's 26, Stafford is 33. You mentioned the interception rate and how Stafford has gone down as he's sort of gotten more comfortable with the game and probably gotten more comfortable with, with, you know, sort of his risk reward um, ratio in his own head, which is going to be different for someone like golf. Because again, like Chris is saying, they don't have enough on this team to get it back if you turn the ball over, right? Whereas Stafford, I think a lot of times, even now, he's going to take chances with the ball and you're going to be okay with one or two a game that are going to look real careless because you know that even if he screws it up, Stafford can almost always get it back. And I don't know if Goff is there and I think it's going to be part, it's a fascinating thing because it's going to be part on, you know, Anthony Lynn and Mark Brunel to sort of massage that and balance it. But it's also going to take a lot of like self-awareness on Jared Goff as a quarterback to just sort of like know your limitations, know where you can take a chance and where you can't, and then sort of work together with your staff and kind of come around it. And that's where it comes in, like you said, working on all this timing and surrounding him with guys like St. Brown, who's a young player who's still got a long way to go, but you can see the idea. And then a guy like Hawkinson, who, you know, we were standing there watching. That was the last real team rep they did as as a first team at the end of minicamp. And he just took the thing over in the two-minute drum. I mean, he was... Yeah, no one could cover him the whole day. He was outstanding. Uh, when they needed to go get a touchdown, I mean, he just put him on his back and they wouldn't score a touchdown. Like that, that was really impressive. And I think that when we watch Goff sort of build with some of these guys as they go forward, I'll, I'll probably note more on that. Like the receivers they have right now on this team aren't, aren't necessarily like these explosive game breaking. Oh, whoa, look at this guy. But he does have a number of guys here that are kind of professional route runners who can get open that if you put the ball there, they're going to make you look okay. And I think that if you can sort of stay consistent with that, then maybe you got something going. Yeah. The uh, last thing I'll say on golf is just the age discussion is interesting that you, and it's, Mm -hmm. I like that you pointed it out because it feels like he's been around forever. You know, he he started 70 games. He's been to the playoffs. He played in the Super Bowl, but he is only 26 and Stafford at 26 was uh, that lined up with the 2014 season, which was, probably their best team with him, yep. one of his best seasons. And he kind of turned a corner from then on. And, and yeah, I think he was a more mature quarterback mm-hmm. and a smarter quarterback. And so there is this – there probably is an opportunity. And I'm sure the Lions looked at Jared Goff when they got him and said, all right, we can still kind of mold some things here. With Stafford, you yeah, you know what you're getting at this point with Matthew Stafford, good and bad. Great point. Uh, mostly good, but good and yeah, bad. Right. <laughs> uh, and Jared Goff, I think you you have an idea of what he can and can't do, but I think there probably are some opportunities where they say, "All right, look, he was we we saw this coming out of college, and he kind of stopped doing it. And we saw this deep ball three year, two three years ago, and they got away from it because they didn't yeah. have the weapons to do it. So we have some things that we think we can bring back and add to his game, and so I, they might see some upside there that hasn't been evident, but still might be available because he is he is in his yeah. mid-20s. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it at the end of the day with Goff is going to be a personal sort of... And you mentioned that when quarterbacks get to that midpoint of their 20s, if they're going to be around for long enough, and I think that it's important to include that Jared Goff physically has enough ability to, you know, have a career that extends beyond 26. 
tasks. I think we can yeah. all agree with that. He's plenty <laughs> talented to do that. But ultimately, it's going to become, you know, you have to morph from the mindset of the younger gunslinger whose arm is invincible, who can put the ball anywhere, who can do whatever he wants, right? Who can take as many hits and get up and keep going. And at some point in your career, every quarterback, I think, probably has to go through this regardless of style. It's like you have to decide in your head of like, there are margins I have to shrink here and there are things I have to manage better. And my equation is going to be a little bit different than the next guy's and it's going to be about yourself. And I think Goff is probably at that point in his career where it's going to be mostly about looking inward. And that's a that's the best point to make because it's a great comparison for Stafford. Like there was a point in Matthew Stafford's career as a player where his physical abilities stayed the same, but his mental sort of approach to I have to stop putting us in these positions just because I I can, you know, get these get a turnover back doesn't mean I'm always gonna be able to do it. I have to stop putting us in these positions. And ultimately it led to him sort of transforming into the quarterback we see today, which physically maybe he's not at his best, but mentally he is. And like that's the kind of process you want right now. Uh, you want to go offense or defense here? Uh, start like with I'm, defense, maybe. Okay. Start with so defense, yeah, you, yeah, so you mentioned the young guys. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see. I don't think. I think Barnes sat all three mm-hmm. days, right? A mini camp. He was out he was there out at the there. end, but didn't do a lot. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was out there, um, in rookie mini camp, and he was out there in OTAs, but we didn't see him. He just sort of observed uh, during. Uh, mini camp he, itself here, the mandatory mini camp, uh, and they were, you know, Jeff Okuda. Got banged up. Uh, looks like he had a like a gash on his head from yeah, a collision at the end of one of the practices. Mm-hmm. So he missed one. Tracy Walker was just kind of going through walkthroughs the last day. So the, you know they were they were down some guys. Um, and again, no defensive line really. Uh, so mm-hmm. you didn't get to see any of that. But what do you think here? I mean, we did get to see some of Okuda. We saw a lot of Amani Oruwariye, mm-hmm. Mike Ford. You know, Corn Elder who's supposed to be in there. Quentin Dunbar. Like, is there? Is there anything in the secondary that gives you hope for what they can do defensively? The biggest thing that would give you hope is the way that they're approaching it, I think, with the way Aaron Glenn is sort of just – and we saw this throughout minicamp where – and Campbell actually even mentioned it one day – one of the days in his – when he talked to us before practice. Like, you know, there's something to be gained sometimes in a seven-on-seven by just sort of like, hey – here we are in this situation. We're just going to drop into whatever call we have and we're going to play the look and we're going to react to it. And we're going to trust each other and we're going to sort of lean on each other to hand off, reroute, all those <laughs> things, right? And I think that they did a lot of that in camp here and in this in these OTAs and a mini camp. And I think that that is the productive thing that you see because there were some stretches, you know, during competitive periods in mini camp where the defense had them crossed up. Yep. Only based on like they weren't doing anything exotic, they weren't doing anything crazy. It was just hey, whatever the call is, play the call. And like you know, like if if you have to hand this guy off here, hand this guy off here, and only worry about you know this exact area that we have you carved off for. And I think that there were co- some reps where you'd see that click for guys. And you know, Will Harris made a great play on a ball, the one maybe Monday or Tuesday, whatever day that was, early on in the week, and gets a pick. Tavai made some nice, not like. Whoa, that was super athletic, but like that was a smart play. Like there was <laughs> yeah. some of that. You know He's what I mean? Where like, he's supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, <laughs> like I think that there was a lot of, you know, improved cohesive awareness, I guess I would say. And it didn't always result in guys making plays. Like I could still we could still watch, you know, or or sometimes would make a play man covered, sometimes he wouldn't. Uh Okuda, same thing. But there were moments that you'd see, 
you know, where they'd be communicating with someone that we wouldn't maybe necessarily see a lot of last year, where they'd be so worried about their own thing that they got to do. And before the snap, I see a lot more communication. I see a lot more of that. And I think that that's the only thing really that you can get too optimistic about. And it's not a lot because ultimately it's got to be about a lot more than just sort of squatting back and seven on seven and playing a look. It's got to, you got to crank it up. But I think in that sense, at least, at least all 11 seem to know where they're going, right? Like that seems like an improvement. I think that's a a big improvement if it carries over. And I think that that's one of the things that Aaron Glenn's kind of promised the whole time here is just that this isn't going to be like the previous defense was whatever they were running. That's what they ran Mm -hmm. the whole time. Even if they were down to their fourth and fifth cornerbacks, they were still going to put those guys out there and play man and probably not give them a whole lot of help over the top. And if you got beat, you got beat. And now you're starting to see, I think, like you said, um, just, there's at least going to be some stuff in that defense where you're where you're assisting your teammates, where mm-hmm. you know you're yeah. running guys into other coverage, and you're not responsible for just like it's not going to be Jeff Okuda in his third start having to play yeah. Devonte Adams one on one the in entire the day, yeah, right. even if Adams is 200 <laughs> yards. You're going to see some different coverages. You're going to see some help, and I think that the big one, um, I like. Even in those seven on sevens, I think the split safety looks yeah. is a big improvement for what they have on this defense because uh, he's mentioned. I think Will Harris made a couple plays. Uh, I, I, Dean Marlowe seems like he's going to be a decent player for them. I know he was pretty good when he got some opportunities in Buffalo, but he seems like a smart guy. He ran with some slot receivers a couple times, um, ran with the tight ends a little bit. And, and so I think that there are some. Some opportunities to be better. I do still, you know, you really need Okuda to take a huge leap and Dunbar yes. to be the guy he was before he got hurt. Like you need 2019 Dunbar and Oruwariye is still getting beat deep a lot. Yeah, and so I don't know what you do if that all doesn't click into place. Like there's not, you don't have nine. You're not nine deep at cornerback. No. Like you're, you need those top guys to really be good and really understand this defense. And I think that they'll be able to cover up some of the deficiencies with the scheme, but not all of them, certainly. No. And, and especially if the pass rush is only okay. Like, you're still going to give up a lot. And I think, you know, and you mentioned Tavai. I thought he was better. I think, you know, Jamie Collins, we know, can move around a little bit. I thought Alex Anzalone was the closest to, to staying with TJ Hawkinson of anyone yeah. they had out there. He was yeah, right the there a few times. So. There's some guys, but, um, you know, it's not magically better. There were still, you know, there was like one popping into my head where they ran just a shallow cross with one of their, I, I, the tight ends and to mm-hmm. was like seven yards behind him trying to get, yeah. catch up. And so that's still going to happen. So right. I, just, I don't know, like how yeah. much can a, how much can a coaching staff overcome? I guess is my question. Like you've been around this for a long yeah. time. Like if you have the best coaching staff in football, how much of a gap does that close? I would say all they can really do, especially in the NFL, I mean, you're not going to be able to overcome a lot because, you know, talent is talent and there just is, it just is what it is. But I mean, with the younger guys like Okuda, because you mentioned Anzalone and that's a great example, right? Like he made some plays against Hawkinson, even in that two minute when Hawkinson was like a man possessed, where he was just making not because he was like physically beating Hawkinson, but because he knew what the defense was. He knew what Hawkinson was 
coming at him and he sort of ran him into areas that he knew that, you know, Hawkinson was going to have to sort of grind through and make a play. It's not just, we're just going to give you this. We're just going to give you a free release down here because we're in man coverage and I can't cover you. Like there were, there were parts of knowing the defense that you could see show up. So when I look at a guy like Okuda and when you talk about Aaron Glenn's process with him, you're right that he can only do so much and it has to get to a point where you can only sort of put him in positions and say, like, we're just going to put you out here, breathe, understand that you have 10 more guys out here with you, play into sort of what we're doing structure-wise, and then at some point you have to just be comfortable enough with your assignment to react and play football. And we have to see if you're capable enough to do that. And, like, that has to get there before you can say, Jeff, we want you to go out there on an island just cover that guy. Like, he can't do that yet because mentally he needs to get to a place where he's comfortable enough with all the other assignments. And I think that that's all you can do right now. And you can hope that you put some of those guys in those places. They're coming at this approach much better from that standpoint this year than last year ever was, of course. But ultimately, right. Chris, like you say, it's like, it's we're, it's going to be on those guys. I mean, at some point in like week four or five, like it's going to have to be on Jeff Okuda to start, you know, some of the things that were mistakes prior to are no longer mistakes. Like, you know, when we were talking to Aaron Glenn a couple weeks ago or a month ago, and he was like, you know, I don't coach my bads. We can put up with a couple of them, but like at some point that shit's got to stop. And like, that's the, that's the thing with Okuda and Tracy Walker and Amani and some of these younger guys where it's like, they're going to put you in better positions, but you know what? A month in, we're going to have to start seeing some improvements. And otherwise, if we don't, like this conversation is going to change. Yeah. And I think that that is going to be Really at every position. That's a lot of what this season is. Yeah. And that sort Big of happens time. whenever there's a coaching change. But especially in this case, when you know like 2021 is just sort of a step to 2022, 2023, like you need to figure out who's going to be here. And I think that include like that goes up. Like Okuda Everybody. is not guaranteed Everybody. to be here for yeah. four or five years. If he's awful, mm-hmm. year in year two, I mean, you still give him some time to develop. You probably, you know, write off last right. year as a wash, but... Like, yeah, it's got to start clicking, especially guys like Will Harris, Tracy yeah. Walker, who are getting kind of towards the end of these contracts. Dunbar's on one-year deal. You know, Oral Worrier's been here for a bit. Like, this has got to happen, yeah. or they're going to look at it and say, like, we need to we need to completely overhaul the secondary before yeah, next move year. On. So yeah, right. uh, I think that that is – that, like I said, that's the case at a lot of positions on the field, but especially in that secondary year – trying to figure out if there are any building blocks there because I don't know that you could say for sure that there are at this point. Yeah. I mean, there's some guys that look like they might work, but relative to last year, a lot of it looks like it might work. And, you know, I don't know how much progress there's going to be. It's tricky right now because everyone's new and they're all sort of working together in a new system and a new everything else. And so, so much of it, and they're all going through the same thing, I guess. Maybe that's the better way to put it. Like, I look at Okuda and Will Harris and Walker and even Orari to a degree, and you're like, well, what do these guys all have in common? And it's like, well, their confidence has been destroyed, and they're like, <laughs> we're, we're wrecked by a previous coaching staff. So they all have that in common, and that, that all needs to be, you know, taken to, into account. And I'm glad that, you know, we're at a place in the NFL nowadays that, you know, that's a conversation that can be had and can be respected because, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't talking about, well, this guy's confidence is shot maybe you should just maybe work on that and he could surprise you no 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 he's damaged goods get rid of him forever right like we don't do that anymore we we give guys a chance to sort of rebound but it can't last forever and that's why like when people ask us about Akuda all the time like the answer always is like we'll check back mid-season and maybe the tone of this conversation has to change maybe it doesn't maybe he sort of 
starts to get it and, and, and we can see these things kind of gradually improve. But like, yeah, I mean, like it's a big year for a lot of those guys, bigger than it pro- individually. It's a bigger year than it is for the team, right? Like for a lot of those guys and just their own personal growth and development and if they're going to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you have any, like you said, Barnes wasn't really out there. Yeah. Collins um, did some stuff, but not a ton. So Anzalone was out there a bunch. Tavai was out there a ton. Um, Reeves Maven got banged up too, so he missed like a day and a half. I mean, that, and I think, again, you see a spot there where, you know, if Anzalone, Collins, Derek Barnes are playing pretty well and Tavai is serviceable, then, all right, maybe you're okay, but you're yeah. you're one issue away from just it unraveling <laughs> entirely. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts there? I mean, like, does Alex Anzalone seem like he could be a good piece here? Or do you have any confidence in Jelani Tavai coming back? Where, where are you staying there? <laughs> I, well, I, <laughs> I think I know the I, answer we, to the Tavai question. <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing more on um, Derek Barnes, actually, this week. So we'll write about – I won't get – we won't get too much into him today. But, like, Barnes, I think, when we've talked about this a lot, just you and I, it makes a lot more sense now when we look at this, uh, why they signed Anzalone so quick, right? Like, I – I, I feel good about him being here. I feel good about what he can give them. Uh, all the limitations he has, of course, like we've talked about, you know, is he going to be able to hold up against the run, all these other things. But I think he's a smart player. I mean, shoot, we saw some reps against Hawkinson that he had in minicamp that were better than anything we've seen from a linebacker in any of the previous two years during a Lions practice. So, and from that standpoint, you know, he should be able to reasonably run to a degree. So you like that. You like the influence he'll have on Derek Barnes. And then, like you said, Chris, you look around and you say, what about everything else? And it's like, <laughs> well, J.B. Collins, we'll see. You know, we'll see how it clicks. Um, I think if he plays mostly in the stack there with Anzalone, then that could actually be, we'll see, because I think that athletically he could be something to be exactly what they want from him. But, I mean, he's worked so long in that Patriot system that, you know, maybe that's going to be an adjustment for even him at this point in his career. Uh, and then, yeah, the depth just is like... I don't know. I mean, how much can you reasonably ask Tavai? What? What? I don't know. I mean, we just we have to see something in training camp yeah. in terms of what's it going to look like when he gets play actioned. What's it going to look like when they have to play in man and he has to line up against Hawkinson or Darren Fells or anybody really, uh, you know, and has to cover them man on man because it's going to happen. And like, is he going to be able to hold up? And that's the question with a lot of guys. I mean, we've seen younger guys sprinkle through, make a, making a couple plays, like the Beckett kid. Um, but it's always like, well, there's always like nine other things that this guy hasn't proven yet, and we just don't know. And so you look at linebacker and safety, and you're like, are you going to have to bring more guys in? Like, is there going to have to be extra help? Yes. And that's sort of yes. still what I'm at. <laughs> I think the yeah. answer there is yes. But yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. And I think that that's important too. As we said, they, they can't really get into much with the offensive line, defensive line. So there wasn't, they don't really do anything with play action or, you know, they, yeah, they right. change the personnel and, and the looks and, and all that, but there's nothing that would make you react to to some of those play actions that you'd have to regularly. And so it's easy to – it's probably a lot easier for Jelani Devai to just turn and run oh, with yeah. someone or to fade into a spot where you're you know, playing zone when you know there's not going to be a run play right. coming at you. So that's that's important to note as we talk about him looking better. And he certainly looks lighter and quicker than he did, but I don't know. Yeah, you yeah. got to see how much that translates. And yeah, the – you need Anzalone to stay healthy for 16 games. I don't know that he can yep. do that. <laughs> and I don't need, uh, <laughs> And Derek Barnes, you know, like you said, we're going to get into him on the site this week, but I don't know that he's a guy that you're throwing in there 
95% of the snaps and as a rookie and asking him mm-hmm. to play the run all the time. Like there, there's some deficiencies there that he's going to have to improve. So yeah, we'll see on uh, defense. I, I don't think it surprises anyone to hear the defense is going to be kind of cross your fingers and hope it all works out, but that's sort right. of where they're at offensively. Like you brought up, I tweeted it out. I mean, I think schematically you look at it and say, oh, mm-hmm. this is kind of interesting, both because I think the creativity is um, maybe a little more there than it has been <laughs> right. in the past. But also, you know, it's sort of those things where like we know we're not going to be as good on right. paper as some of these other teams. So how can we get an advantage on them? What sort of things mm-hmm. can we toss at them that they can't really handle? And so I think that they're just the types of players they have here, you know, maybe you get Swift and Jamal Williams on the field together at the same time. Maybe you put Swift yep. and Hawkinson to one side and isolate someone on the other and and force defenses to choose. I mean, I think there's going to be some opportunities um, to mix and match guys, to overload sides of the field and to just try and yeah, not go for the kill shot all the time. Just try and sort of... Uh, casually work your way down the field and hope someone can spring loose every once in a while i don't know i mean it it, can this team score is this team going to be able to move the ball well the one thing we haven't seen is the run action and it's like that what are they going to look like and it could be very good that's going to be huge yeah and golf was terrific terrific in sean mcveigh's um you know run action stuff and i didn't and credit where it's due like a lot of that was good because it was unique and McVeigh installed an offense that teams struggled to adjust to and, you know, those types of things. But I mean, Goff's, how many times did you, did, did you go back and watch Goff sell those like boots off play action perfectly and exactly the same every single time? He was like surgical in some of that stuff early in his career. And I think that when you talk about the, can the Lions score, if the, if the, if the front is able to sort of dictate what they're able to do at the line of scrimmage, then I think they have a chance to be more threatening than we're probably giving them credit for just off of what we saw last week because you have to take into account that the run action is going to have a huge part in this whole thing. Like, the Lions, if the line sort of does what we expect it should be capable of doing by the midpoint in the year, like, I don't know if there's a lot of defenses out there that you should be able to look at and reasonably say, like, talent-wise, they should be able to run the ball. Like, so... I think that'll have a huge impact on on how they're sort of operating. And like you said, Chris, that's the thing to remember is they're looking for all these, any little edge, any little angle, any little advantage. Maybe, maybe this call works here. Maybe that call works there. Maybe this matchup's better, whatever it is. They have to get more creative and do all these things that teams with a little bit of a talent deficiency have to do. And at it's it should be noted that at least they understand that because the previous staff didn't seem to and like yeah. that's half the battle sometimes and i think that uh, yeah i think they'll have a chance and i think a lot of it will depend on how quick is sewell adjusting at right tackle is vitai going to be able to hold up as a guard reasonably those are really the questions if those questions are answered favorably i would say that this offense has a chance to maybe surprise some people but like chris i mean i would ask you the same thing i don't know how much we can really glean even from like a receiver right now because physically it's just going to be different when they put pads on. I mean, it's like, it's just their entire offense is going to be so different from what we saw, you know, them just sort of working through these last couple of days. Yeah. And I, if they can't run the ball, if they come out in the first quarter and the, the run game's just yeah, not there, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. the problem. They're going 0-17. Like, that's yeah, not, right. 
Like they're not going to have game. Like if if you didn't have the run game and you had Stafford, it was like, all right, uh-huh. well, just let yeah. him wing it. Maybe he can find something downfield for us. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. just let him zip it in there four or five times. You don't have that. You need Jared, Jared Goff needs to have that run action. Mm-hmm. He needs to be able to move the pocket a little bit. They have to hit you with some uh, stuff where you're you're catching that defense off balance. But if if teams are just able to sit six in the box and shut yeah. down that run game, that's it. the game is over. That's over. it. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't think as good as Hawkinson looks, I don't know that that yeah, like he's not carrying you nope. through an entire game the way like a DeAndre Hopkins could. You know, it's a different type of conversation at tight end and with TJ Hawkinson. And it, I don't know that they have a number one receiver. I mean, I think Tyrell Williams, Prashad Perriman are, are decent options. I think Amon Ross St. Brown's going to be good, mm-hmm. but you don't have Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. I mean, they barely had Kenny Galladay last year anyway, right. but you don't have Marvin Jones to just go take over a game. Like Williams right. and Perriman will give you some plays, but they're not that type of player. So I think we have to kind of reset what the bar is for this offense um and kind of adjust what the expectations are because again this sort of goes back to my point at the start like there's going to be some moments here where everyone's comparing it to the Stafford offense and this is just you need to just erase that from your memory it like it doesn't exist anymore (laughs) whatever this offense was is not here and so uh yeah I mean that's got to be that run game has to be good every single week for this to work. If there is going to be like a teeth clenching, um, oh God moment this year uh, for like Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell and all these guys, like, and Rod Wood and anybody else, like nervousness, anything else, right? Because we look at the season and we say, like, whatever the record is, we'll see, right? It is what it is. But to your point, I'm so glad you brought this up. If there's going to be a moment where this, New regime is like, oh, God, I'm freaking out. It's going to be the five minutes before that first offensive series against San Francisco (laughs) on September 12th when it's can we run the ball? Can we at least run the ball? If we we get up there and are hapless through the first, like, three weeks, because you've got Niners, Packers, Ravens, Bears. If you go through those first four and you can't run the ball... This is a that's a problem, right? Like you then suddenly have to sort of that's the conversation we get into when the season starts about when it starts changing timelines on how you feel about certain positions in your rebuild. Like the offensive line has got to be, and we would agree, like on paper, it's the most stable thing that you think about right now. But the minute that you get evidence that maybe suggests <laughs> suggests otherwise, it changes. So yeah, I mean uh, training camp will be a big part of that too, right? The first week of training camp. Like, how are they hitting? Like, what's going on here? And it's such a big part of it. Like, the offensive line is so important to everything they're going to do, not only this year or next year, but in just in the grand scheme of the whole rebuild. It's a really, really important thing to note. Yeah, and not to get too far ahead of this, but that week one matchup against yeah. the 49ers is, I mean, week one's always kind of funky in the NFL and, and takes teams a little bit to get their footing, but that if you're trying to learn sort of what this team is going to be, mm-hmm. I don't know that you could have gotten a better matchup in week one because you're going to get a defense that's really good up front yep. in San Francisco and good between the tackles. Not going to give uh, it to you. Yep. Fred Warner, they're good. At, they're fast at linebacker. Fred Warner can run with guys. You've got a couple safeties, Tart and uh, Jimmy Ward, who can come down and cover your tight ends. That offense 
is really creative and dynamic. They've got Kittle. They got Trey Sermon in the backfield now. They've got some catch and run receivers. Like it's everything you're wondering what this Lions offense mm-hmm. and defense can do is going to be put to the test immediately yeah, by this right. 49ers team. And so without, I mean, it doesn't seem like they're going to have any joint practices. They're going to have the three preseason games, but we're going to get a pretty good indication right out of the gate yeah. what's real and what's not with the progress that we've seen uh over the summer here and into august so i I think that again not to get too far ahead of it but (laughs) you know that is a good test and like you said the packers the second week that's another team that's tough up front and so well if they have two games there where they rush for like 48 yards this is gonna be a long long season that's gotta be that really has to be the staple of this entire team is to be able to establish the run and get the the run action going because otherwise I just don't they just don't have enough high end talent to just go <laughs> win games on that alone like it's got to be the scheme and it's got to be the execution and you're going to hear them talk about that for the next oh, two yeah. months that's important too like the 49ers game right like if everything in that game was a disaster except for the offensive line and they get the shit kicked out of them they're probably still gonna leave there being like okay well, yeah, at least, here we go at All least right. the offensive line <laughs> looks like it might be good we'll take it we will take it because we didn't put stock in anything else on this team yet long term but i you draft Penny Sewell number seven you pass on a trade you pass on justin fields it, it would lead to believe that if there's any like I'm grabbing the trash can and trying not to nervously throw up here. It would be like, are we going to find out if the offensive line can do this? Because that's the only spot really right now that they're like, if you want to say they're pot committed to something, it's that. I think you could just, you can wiggle out of like anything else. Like, and they did a really good job, I think. Underratedly so, I I think, um, in sort of dumping. We talked about this back in January, but like dumping bad contracts. Yeah sort of filling those gaps with guys who you think you can trust on prove it deals and all those things if they work out a lot of those are like low risk high reward but the offensive line is the high risk high reward spot it's the only one really I guess other than Goff and so it's like but even if I would say even if Goff is a disaster if your homes secretly or privately you're looking at that being like okay well we can get around that but if the line sucks like that's that's a really bad place to start out here in, in uh in this rebuild because that's the one spot that can't suck so we did i asked for questions on twitter uh for our podcast i want to get into a few of those but i just my last thing uh, as we wrap up the mini camp conversation here uh, again because you've covered football for a long time you played football back in your uh glory days back in the day (laughs) (laughs) how much does it matter that guys are enjoying being around each other (laughs) a a lot a ton i think it matters a ton like i mean it doesn't matter to a degree like people people always get black and white with this and it's like they're still gonna show up to work if they hate the coach they're still gonna come and play and and on sundays they're gonna focus and they're gonna give you everything they've got and you know what between the white lines at practice they're probably gonna do the same thing i mean there there maybe would be days i'm sure during the patricia era where guys will go out there and they're not feeling it. Maybe they have a bad practice and it's whatever, and they just let it roll off and they go forward. And those are all things that will add up and and be a problem for you. But, like, this is a hard game. It's not like uh, Jim Harbaugh used to get knocked on this, and he probably still does when he says, like, football is not a fun sport, and I don't think it's supposed to be fun. Like, that was always his sort of, like, approach, and he used to get flack for it. But I always kind of understood that because I think that, it's not a fun sport. It's only fun 
when you're sort of like, when you're cohesive with all the guys in your building and you're good, it's miserable when you suck and everyone on your team is like, whatever. It's not like basketball or baseball or another sport where you can still, even if you're on a bad team, you can find some enjoyment out of the sport. Like there's none with football. If you're on a bad team in a toxic environment, zero. So I think it matters a lot. It's not everything. It's not going to matter in terms of wins and losses. It's not going to dictate you know, being happy and being like, because I've covered that too, like Brady Hoax teams at Michigan, great example. They right. were always, for the most part, very, like, they, they liked each other a ton. They loved the staff. They, they were a family. And they treated each other like a family. And that led sometimes to some soft stuff that had a problem on the field. Those are the things you have to go against. But, like, you're going nowhere in 2021 if your team is miserable, if they don't like you. <laughs> Especially if you're not any good. I mean, that you you it's a non-starter. You might as well just shut it down before you even start because you know this, Chris. We've seen athletes, football players are the are the ones that we cover the most, but over the last 15 years, we've seen their mindsets change and evolve and, and grow. Oh, yeah, and, 100%. And, and as their voices have grown and everything else, and like if you are not adapting to that as a coach or a, a front office person, you are going to pay the price. And uh, we say this all the time, but like these – Dan Campbell hires come around now and again. And in order for them to become a trend, the nice guy hire or whatever, the guy that like the players coach hire, he's got to win. And like, that's the thing though, because you've got to find the balance. You've got to find the the medium somewhere in there. And, and that's why I think training camp will be so interesting because I do think the vibe from what we see, the, the competition's going to go up. I don't think you'll see guys getting belittled out there, but you know, I mean, the happy-go-lucky stuff. I think we'll have to take a backseat to a degree at some point when the pads come on. I, yeah, I, I have more to say, but I'll save it for training camp. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> well, you're I'm curious right. on your I, thoughts too, though, because well, I think you're you right. saw the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do too with how you handle those interactions, because I think there's a difference between, and especially now, you mentioned the changing mentality of players and how they respond to criticism and compliments and all those things. I think there's a difference between, and we saw it even in, uh, in minicamp, uh, mm -hmm. guys would screw up and Campbell would sort of pull them aside and just one-on-one, -on -one, like quietly talk through what they'd done wrong. And, you know, right. probably in some cases, pretty stern message. Like you, we cannot have that. You can't, yeah. that gotta go swift, right swift, now get out of bounds yeah, yeah right uh, yeah now, swift was a perfect example he caught yeah. one and it was they were doing the two minute drill and he got yep. hung up between trying bounds. to turn yeah. up field and get out of bounds and campbell pulled him aside and said you got to make up your mind you got to decide yeah. right yes. as you catch that ball and that was it and then they went on there's a difference between that and we know what the last regime <laughs> just <laughs> murdering guys right. during film sessions and things Doesn't like work. that yeah and so I think that that matters too. Um, and I'm curious, I, I think that'll carry over. I, I imagine that will be the, just how they operate. Um, mm -hmm. All right. So let's spend five or 10 minutes here on some questions right. from Twitter. Uh, we talked about the receivers a bit. Got one from uh, Danny Shapiro here. Beyond Tyrell Williams, Perriman, and he included Cephas, uh, okay. who's likely to make up the wide receiver core. Could, could Victor Bolden... Uh, could an impressive camp thrust Victor Wolden into games this fall? I would add Amon Ross St. Brown there and maybe bump yeah. Cephas back to the bubble. But uh, in either case, you're at three or four and need one or two more. So what's your uh, what's your thought there? I So St. Brown is going to be a factor here, right? I mean, I think that it's impossible to sort of 
see that. I don't know how much he's going to catch this year. I don't know how much he'll play. I don't know if he'll play above whomever, but I mean, like they drafted him. He works his butt off. He's exactly what they want from the mentality and everything else. Like, I think he's going to play. And then like the big question, I guess for me, like, yeah, I mean, Vic Bolden had some nice moments. How is that going to look in, in 11 on 11? I think that those are some things that I would like to see. Like some of those guys that are, that have the advantage in seven on seven are often the, you know, the quick twitch guys who you don't have to worry about, you know, running through physical traffic or you don't have to worry about a guy knocking you off your, off your path or whatever. Like, I think that sometimes seven on seven can play into their hands a little more. So I think that Bolden's a guy that he opens your eyes a little bit, but it's like, we'll, we'll have to see it in camp. And then Cephas is like the most fascinating one for me because, um, we talked so many times, even during minicamp, where it's like, how can this guy look like when they have, there are times where they'll go through one-on-ones or just like he'll go against air, right? Individual periods and he'll drop a pass or he'll run the route wrong or he'll misjudge the ball. <laughs> yeah. And then they get out there in seven on seven and nobody can cover him. No one can do anything with him. So it's like, is Cephas this guy who's just really good in a crowd? And like when you, when you peel it all back, there are things where he can get into his own head and he crosses himself up. I really don't know. But like Cephas is the receiver that I look at right now. And I just, I'm like, he's not what any of these guys are. All the other guys that they signed, like Williams and Perriman are long and fast. He's not long and he's not fast, but he gets open a lot and he makes plays in team drills. I don't know what to make of that. And, and he's the one that I'm, I, what's your thought on Cephas after last week? Because he's interesting still, but I don't know what they think of him. And I don't know if they know what to think of him yet at this point. I don't I don't think they do and I think I mentioned to you when we were out there he's one reason he's interesting is because he's different than everything else they've done this yeah. offseason you know they and, and St. Brown's sort of in his own category here I guess but even with him I think they like you know kind of the play speed and all those things that they mm-hmm. talk about but you know they went bigger faster they wanted to get you know they just want more team speed and Cephas is a what four six four four <laughs> six seven. and a half four yeah, seven guy yeah, yeah, uh right. not all that big like he's not gonna bully nope. you on the outside and he does give you some flexibility inside outside he's good with his body control as we saw good with his hands um but he's a different projection and i think you also kind of wonder if jared goff's gonna be your guy for a couple years Cephas, part of the reason I think the previous regime liked him is because Stafford, that was he loved throwing those tight window shots and just giving his yeah. receivers a Give chance him, yeah. to go make a play. And Cephas fit that. And yeah. Goff is if if Goff is doing that, the Lions are probably losing in the fourth quarter yeah. and he's trying to come back. Like that's, <laughs> that's not what point. this team's gonna be anymore. <laughs> like they really need to yeah. sort of scheme up ways to get guys open. And so I think you're right. I think that the key will be is there any way to scheme to get him open? And he did get loose a couple times on some deeper routes, like some deep corner stuff, but I don't mm-hmm. know that, you know, he's not a guy that's going to catch it and give you 20 yards after the catch. Um, I don't know that he's going to play in the slot over St. Brown. Yeah, I, don't I don't think either. he's going to play outside over Williams and Perriman. So I think he is going to be part of that crunch. Uh, you know, he's certainly not guaranteed a spot on this roster, especially right. if we're – you know, right now it looks like you know Victor Bolden had a, a good camp, and it looks like one of those guys, Khalif Raymond, Victor Bolden, is going to be your return guy. So now you're at four receivers. Mm-hmm. Are you carrying six? I don't know. Uh-huh. So you maybe have one spot left for Cephas and and all those other Surratt and, and Adams, all those other guys. So this is going to be kind of a battle, I think, to the finish line. Right, and it's like, what do you? 
and you said it there. What do you what do you you know what you're going to get or what you can ask of all those other guys, right? Like Perriman and Williams can go outside and can run. They can run vertically against anybody in the league. There's not many guys that are going to be able. They're four three long receivers who can run. So we know what they can do, right? We know St. Brown is a guy who has all this route discipline, who underneath Bolden's sort of similar, but St. Brown knows how to get open because he knows how to run everything on the tree. Cephas is this guy who is like at his best when you run him on those little like option routes where mm-hmm. he's just head up against a guy and he can make like one choice or wiggle at the top of a route and a guy just can't handle him in that like two yard short area burst. Like that's what he has that is really what's the best about him. Cephas has that like Tyrell Williams burst without the speed and it's weird. And it's like, (laughs) I don't know where he fits and I don't know what he does, but that's another one where I look to camp and say, I have to see Cephas being um, an outstanding blocker. We have to see him, you know, because that's another one. All these guys are going to have to be able to block. We're going to see them test the perimeter in the run game, I think, a lot. We're going to see them try to get wide, and they're going to do things in the RPO game with the screens and everything else. Every receiver is going to have to be able to block. That's another thing that we haven't seen a lot of yet. But Williams and Perriman, big body guys, St. Brown's not afraid of anything. If you're going to make this team, you're going to have, you're going to, have to be able to block, and I think that's the thing that we'll have to sort of note um, from who looked physical as they go forward. And I would also, before we wrap up, Chris, I wanted to spend some time too on Hawkinson, like before we go to the next question here, where do you, where are your thoughts on him as, as we sort of go into training camp and what are you looking for him next step wise as camp kind of comes? Uh, I mean, I thought he was, as we said, I thought he was really good. I mean, I think next step, I, the big next step isn't even necessarily like week one. I think it's just in general is, mm-hmm. is he like a thousand yard, guy or is he like George Kittle is he just going to yeah. be a guy that the whole game plan revolves around and I yeah. mean you certainly would take an 800 900 yard tight end right. receiving tight end and I think he's fully capable of being that on a yearly basis I think he's probably going to be your best red zone weapon uh, I mean this should be a huge year for him but I think that that's the that's the thing when you get into when the pads are on then you get into the preseason like is he a guy that just absolutely no one can cover and they can't funnel him into zones and like it's he's just bigger than any defensive scheme that's playing yeah. against him i think that's the next um that's the next thing like it, can he take it to that is there another level there we've already seen that i mean the arrows pointed up pretty dramatically mm-hmm. over the last two years but i think that that's the question is he one of like those guys like those top three or four tight ends in this league who just totally change everything offensively or is he yeah a really good weapon, I guess, yeah. if that makes sense. Know. We'll see. I agree. Uh, so we got, I'll flip to the other side because we got a bunch of okay. questions about the defensive line. Um, one asking if McNeil, Anzarike compare to any defensive tackles the Lions have had in the past. Uh, they brought up Sean Rogers, Sue, Nick Fairley, um, if any of them fit those mold, what this defensive line is going to look like. And then the one I kind of wanted to really get into is will the scheme allow for more pass rush, even though it's, a three, four base. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. Again, we haven't really seen the defensive line, yeah. uh, but what you read there. I mean, do you think that this team is going to be better getting to the quarterback from inside or is this still just going to be kind of hold everything up and hope Romeo Cora or Trey flowers can get there after yeah. three or four seconds? I mean, I think the difference based on their college tapes with Anzarike and McNeil <clears throat> would be, and and in some ways, I guess, and technically, they would be a little similar to a guy like Deshaun Hand. 
but they're explosive. Um, I'm trying to think of guys through in the past. I mean, obviously you don't want to compare him to Sue, but like Sue, (laughs) Sue, you know, Sue's the, what made Sue himself, you know, and still kind of does to a degree as a player now is the same thing that makes Aaron Donald. And it's the ability to just get a base under your body and just wreck people in front of you with your hands. And you can't move these people. Like that's, the athletic explosion, uh, you know, I think Anzarike and McNeil are, at least Anzarike anyway, a little undersized, but the athletic, like, lower body in the legs and the butt and all that sort of thing, when you see them on tape, and we talked about this pretty right after the draft with Anzarike especially, like, you can watch him get doubled and you can watch teams just have a horrible time trying to, like, knock him off his balance. He's such a good athlete. But I don't know yet if either of them still know what they're doing. <laughs> like, and I think that that's sort of the thing we don't know yet. But athletically, that's their best trait. And I think that's what you want from guys inside nowadays. I mean, technique and uh, savvy and all those things are just going to come in time and everything else. Um, do you have heavy hands? And when you get your feet under you, are you hard to move? And I think both those guys are are exactly that. But what are they going to be able to do on Phil, you know, when, when game speed picks up and they're going to have to go against Ragnow and, and these guys, are, I don't know. Like that's, that's a hard one for me because we didn't see much in camp. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, I know we watched them in college, but so far here anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that we saw a little bit of the schematic stuff in rookie camp. I mean, McNeil to me is really interesting because, uh, and I talked with Brad Holmes a little bit about this because he's not, um, he's not like your typical like I wouldn't compare him to Damon Harrison he's not like a guy that's just going to sit in there and eat up run games two gap by himself but in some ways he gives you some of that athletic upside that you would have gotten from that type of guy like he's really interesting because I think you can I don't know if they will use him on all three downs I don't I think when they go to their four-man front and play nickel and dime he'll probably be off the field but I don't know that he has to be and so he's kind of interesting in that regard like I think he's a nose tackle, but sort of the new breed nose tackle where you you can get him on all three downs. Anzarike, mm-hmm. uh, you like the motor. I think you like the length a lot, the athleticism. I mean, again, like you said, it's you know, it's a big leap sort of playing up and, and sort of transferring all this raw skill set to production yeah. at the next level, especially as you look at it, I mean those guys could be starting week one. Like that yeah. could, it could be those two and Brockers yeah, as your sure. starting front yeah. in week one. And and that's a lot to ask. So, um, but I do think there should be more pass rush uh, up front because you just have more athletic guys up front and you're yeah. giving them more opportunities too. I mean, even, even the athletic guys that they had in this previous scheme were kind of neutered because yeah. they just told them to, you know, just hold, hold the line, just don't give up anything. And now you're, giving guys an opportunity to turn loose and, and get into a gap. And so I think that that'll make a difference. Yeah. I mean, last year, what was it? It was like, everybody just hold your gap and let, and see if Romeo can get there. Right. <laughs> because, yeah. right? I think Pretty it'll be much. different. I think you'll see more from, you know, obviously he was hurt last year, but like Julian O'Quara, we saw him on the edge a little bit. Um, I could definitely see him being more of a factor. And I think Derek Barnes, like, you know, Purdue put Derek Barnes on yeah. uh, on the ground on third and five, third and six a lot. I'm not. I think maybe even too much to a degree. But like, I mean, he he got back there a couple times. I don't know if that translates to the NFL. But like, you know, I think that you could see pressures from those edge linebacker spots, um, even from inside. But also, yeah, like Chris said, 
there will be more of an emphasis, I think, on winning one-on-ones. And I think that if you're put in, if it's an obvious pass down and it's go get it, go get it. And I think sometimes that might be different than what we saw last year. Yeah, I was try. I have a hard time doing the like. I'm always terrible with the player comps at draft time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> really yeah. Awful. I, like uh, Jason Jones. I don't know if people like he was I here. Him. Like I could see Anzarike being that type of player. He was an inside yeah. outside guy. He gave you like four yeah. or five sacks. He was pretty productive for them up front. Um, I, I mean, I yeah, I don't want to say any of these guys are going to be Sue or no I, yeah just like a lot of shock just a guy who can Fairley shock the line yeah, yeah. Like, maybe a little like fairly but that i think it's i think yeah, in shape if it helps i think the scheme will look more like it did when you had fairly and you had right. sue and those guys were right. attacking so i think that that uh attacking. is a difference yep. so um let's try and squeeze in we're getting close to an hour here so let's try and squeeze in uh okay. uh one or two more here um uh I'll help, I'll help you with some names if you need names here, but which of the one-year contracts that the Lions signed have the best likelihood of landing a multi-year deal? Uh, and then yeah. the flip side is which player on an expiring contract has the best chance at landing a big contract elsewhere, mm-hmm. getting a comp pick. So I, I, you probably, I should have prepped you and told you to pull this up beforehand. There's like 70 yeah, guys on this roster most- <laughs> on expiring contracts. I think I know uh, most of but the, the one big years. one-year yeah. deals. Like it's, uh, Tyrell Williams was one, Perriman, um, Charles Harris, Those are the two big ones, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fells, trying to just go Marlowe, Dunbar, Khalif Raymond, Corn Elder, yeah, Ratley. I'm trying to just go down the list, uh, and then like I would most say of the rosters, close most of the roster. to an expiring. I mean, the big ones for expiring deals. I don't think Nick Williams is probably getting you a comp pick, but like Deshaun Hand, Crosby, yeah. uh, I think Tracy Walker, right, is on an expiring. This is yeah. the last year of his deal, yeah. so you've got Unless some you guys up, that yeah. could. Uh, could go elsewhere next year and hit, but is there? Let's do the first one. Yeah, is there yeah, anyone that question. you could see Jeez. sticking around that they've signed to a one-year deal? Well, I think that uh, Williams, uh, Dunbar, and I suppose probably Perriman, but especially probably Williams and Dunbar. Mm-hmm. Um, did Ancelone sign on a one-year deal, or was that a multi? Uh, I can't remember. Yes, him. If Ancelone he's a, if he's, is a one-year deal. If he's a one-year, then him too. And but he's like, only 26. <laughs> yeah, right. So. Anzalone, Dunbar, and Tyra Williams are the guys that I look at and say, like, if those guys have good years, I think this regime would really consider keeping them um, and making them part of, like, a grand... Maybe Perriman goes in there, too. Um, beyond that, I think it maybe would take... But I also think those three guys to the other part of the question would be the guys maybe that, along with maybe a Tracy Walker, I guess, on the expiring contract, like that if they play pretty well, they could also go somewhere else maybe. Yeah, and, that's a good um, point. And have a and have a nice contract. So those are the guys I look at a lot. Guys that are still at that, like right in the middle, like, you know, 25, 24 to 26. We still don't quite know yet if you're worth our time. You might be, right? Like it's still like that question of, you don't have to. I don't know. They, they don't. There's not a hill yet for them to climb. I guess I don't think. But it's really. It's right there. Like if they if it doesn't work this year, though, with all those guys that I just mentioned, like it feels like next year the conversation sort of changes. They're like right on that fridge. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I mentioned on the flip side of it. I I think I don't know that there's a ton of guys here that teams are going to be lining up for. But Tyrell Crosby, I could see getting yeah. a decent contract if he, especially That's if he one. winds up starting a couple games this year. You know, teams have seen him in a starting role. There's a lot of tape out there on him. He's certainly not the worst offensive tackle in football. Mm-hmm. Like, you could plug him in on yep. a line and expect him to start at right tackle. So that's one I could see 
pulling back. What about a top hand? Pick. What about hand? What do you think of if he like if Deshaun Hand decided he was going to be the Deshaun Hand that everybody has thought he was supposed to be since he was eighteen? <sighs> then years they old. should trade him at the trade <laughs> deadline and just right, there forget you go. about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, Hand or Walker. I mean, I like I so. could see those yeah. guys going, and especially like because of what we've talked about over and over again with those guys. Just the 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 ceiling still feels high with both of those players I think and so, yeah. so i think if you get a decent year yeah i mean it'd be really hard if tracy walker plays well this year and takes mm-hmm. to this defense to let him go because you yeah, don't you have anything him. else yeah, coming yeah. up defensive right. line you, gotta, you, you gotta could say like all right we can't afford to spend on hand we just drafted these two guys we got brockers on a big contract aguara mm-hmm. and flowers are on like we can't do that financially yeah. walker if he plays well i think you've got to keep him but yeah i think hand Crosby or the couple yeah yeah it's a good point that you bring up like if Perriman goes for 50 catches this year sure I don't know that he's part of your long-term future but certainly someone else out there would take a 28 year old big play receiver uh so yeah I think that that and that's a lot of what we talk about with all these rebuilding projects it's not it's not quite the same as you know with some of these other Detroit teams where you're they're bringing in one year guys and and trying to flip them at the trade deadline, but it's sort of the same idea. You want mm-hmm. these guys to perform well because a that makes you better this year, but it also gives you more options. Maybe you trade yeah. them, maybe you let them walk for a comp pick. I mean, I think it sort of opens the door for everything. Yeah, if there's guys that are even on the fringe of that, like if you think you can do, you know, then take by all means. I mean, that, that's what they did this winter, right? I mean, we saw them do that sort of systematically. <laughs> they just went through the roster, and it was anybody we think we can get one for, get out. So, yeah, I don't know. But there's, that'll be interesting. That's something um, that we'll have to watch this year, yeah, to see if any of that, if a market sort of pops up for anybody in the middle of the year that we didn't expect because it certainly could. All right, last one for you uh, from Travis. I'm going to butcher this last name. Mohauser at Portis Lives. Uh, mm-hmm. When will I stop hating Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn? <laughs> well, I think you got to get over that now because it's not. <laughs> they're not the only uh, people that have come in here and failed, right? Like I, that's how I look at it. Like I mean, people probably have the recency bias, and maybe you would say like this was especially bad. But like at the same time, I don't know, man. I think that you got to deposit it, right? Like, it's got to be <laughs> move on. Although I would say like if it's like two years down the road and this roster is still a disaster, and it's just because they couldn't get anything out of it, maybe. Maybe you can hold on to your anger a little bit longer. I don't know. <laughs> I think they're always going to have a special place Probably. for people because they chased Matthew Stafford out of town to they some did. extent. Uh, and it's happened with Barry. It's happened with Calvin. But this was different because you <laughs> this was it, like a con job, it felt like, right? Like that. Oh, and that one is hard for people to overcome. And I think that I understand what Travis is saying, where it's like not only did it result in Stafford getting run out of town. But everybody was convinced three years ago that if you just hire one of Belichick's guys, it's going to be the exact same thing. And it's like, no, it's not. So, yeah, I don't know. I get it. <laughs> People want to harbor ill will there. That makes sense to me. If Stafford would have gotten traded new to New England this year, I would have. <laughs> that would have been the ultimate like inside job. Patricia Jeez. goes back there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Well. Oh well. <laughs> everyone's moving although i don't know if bob quinn's anywhere right now patricia is in coach and waiting territory there with uh belichick we'll apparently, see so. about that yeah it's uh yeah let's uh i would suggest <laughs> just trying to enjoy this while it's, it's still yep. feeling pretty uh pretty happy and and positive that's around a, there that's good advice yes <laughs> and we'll see where it goes so all right we'll wrap up there um we'll try to keep you 
uh, alerted to what the schedule is going to be. The our podcast schedule kind of gets a little uh, scattered here over the off season, just because we don't have anything new that much to talk about between now and training camp. But we'll we'll get a few in here before the Lions pick back up. Uh, we don't have official dates for camp yet, but it should be like right at the end that last week of July. Uh, and once that gets going, we'll be with you on a regular basis every week through the season. So make sure you uh, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, send us some more questions if you have them. I know we didn't get to all of them. We'll try to answer some of them on uh, Twitter. Appreciate those of you who did reach out and all those of you who have subscribed. And So head over to theathletic.com too and check that out. We always have subscription deals running if you haven't signed up yet. So uh, for Nick, I'm Chris, and we'll talk to you soon.